Welcome to the BWT But We're Together podcast. Eavesdrop on our conversation as an interracial couple. I'm Darlene and I'm black. I'm Wes and I'm white. We are going to talk about travel and lifestyle, family and personal topics, education, news, and trending topics. Let's go. All right, here we go. It's uh, it's time to tell my wife the news or read my wife the news. You ready, Darlene? <laughs> I'm ready for you to read me the news, Wes. And the good thing about this is I've been uh, gone this week a little bit. I was up at Apple headquarters. And, uh, Aren't so you fancy? I, <laughs> hmm. I was at a little conference about research and education. It was good times. Um, but I actually missed out on some news, too. So I'm looking forward to this, which I, I don't usually care about the news. So that's different. <laughs> I've been reading the news, uh, absorbing <laughs> I, it all I know, for you. I know you have. <laughs> all right. So here's how it works. I pick the topics and then uh, read some of the articles and headlines. And Darlene gives her a gut reaction. I call it commentary. Commentary. Intellectual commentary. No, I don't know about that part. All right. So here's our first article. And it's uh, the title is California Commission Finds PG&E falsified their records for years mm. so um pg e is pacific gas and electric and the article says this is from uh cnn the article says from california northern california what's that southern california is sce right for the most part and then pg e is northern california you know that's why we do this i learn something every time <laughs> <laughs> so um the commission claims that pg e violated california law by failing to locate and mark their natural gas pipelines in a timely manner. Mm. Um, so excavators, including construction crews, rely on PG to inform them where the uh, natural gra- gas infrastructure is located. Um, and here's the thing is they have uh, a history of being taken to court and owing fees or fines rather um, for safety violations, and actually, in 2012, they um, they had a, a pipeline explode, killing eight people in San Bruno and damaging dozens of houses. And they were fined after that explosion, 1.6 billion dollars. How are you fined 1.6 billion dollars and you're still fine? Like as a company, yeah. Like, how, how are you, are you still, still operating? Just operating, you're just filthy rich. So isn't that the problem? I mean, you, you're too big. You're too, you become kind of callous, I would say. That's what hap- That's what's happening. Or else they just, what do they want to save more money? And so they're not um, doing their due diligence with. I do uh, not know. Finding out. I don't you know, know how you can sure- survive a $1.6 billion fine. Yeah, I don't know. But that just tells you the kind of, um, what the kind of operation it is. It's crazy. And then last year they were put on probation for another five years and f- find a measly three million last year. Yeah. When things get too big and things are they're making so much money. But I mean, it seems like there's such a neglect for what's right and what's safe and what's just ethical. Yeah. Um, And that what takes the place of that is just greed. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes no sense. And then we've had the Paradise Fire. We had the uh, the gas leak, and well, um, remember ag- a couple has it been two years already? Yeah, down here in Mission yeah. Viejo area, roughly San Rafael. No, that's up no. north. Hmm. 
well, and geography check. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but those people had to evacuate, and yeah, uh, it was it was pretty damaging to their life. Yeah, you know, and who knows what lasting damage is is still going on, you know, in terms of health for those yeah. people. Well, you mentioned the Paradise Fire. There's a link in the bottom of this article, and it's to an article that says. PG&E workers found a damaged tower and bullet holes near the campfire origin site. This article is from CNN two days ago. Mm-hmm. And so um, basically the the employees on the day of the fire, a PG&E employee called 911 saying there was flames in the vicinity of a high voltage tower. Mm. I don't get the bullets though. Did somebody like, were they vandalizing it or, or doing something to at the power lines and that caused it? Or was it something? So there's, there's two things. There was a first location um, where there was, um, they went back and uh, researched. Uh, they discovered a hook connecting part of the transmission line and the transmission tower was broken and there was a flash mark on the tower However, there was also an outage the same day at another location, and that location had um, bullet holes and the pole was broken. So um, in two areas, they had down poles and power outages. And then how was that? Uh, did PG&E, what, what was the outcome of it? What did they so do about it? it? It just says the federal government asked them to explain. So here's the paragraph. Um, I think I didn't do it. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what that was. I mean, what is that? PG&E made its findings public weeks after a federal judge ordered the company to, quote, explain any potential role it played. Mm, You know, I'm just because California at this point is so dry. We have this climate change issue. We have so many things going on uh, with our climate and our... um, our environment that we can't also have PG&E being negligent um, in terms of safety and repairs and all those things that you need to do to make sure stuff doesn't blow up. Maybe they shouldn't have been fined 1.6 billion. Maybe they needed that for extra safety precautions. (laughs) (laughs) They took all their safety money. Yeah, that was a good one. (laughs) Um, But I mean, the thing is too, is like paradise that it burnt down. Yeah, so this is a paragraph from that article kind of summarizing. Campfire, if people aren't aware, the campfire burned more than 153,000 acres in Butte County, killing at least 85 people. It killed 80 people. Destroying thousands of structures, and it was uh, contained November 25th. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it was started like November 8th. Wow. And then, so that's that's a long time for a fire to burn. Yeah, and if you read any of those accounts of people um, that were in that fire and had to get out of there, I mean, they're harrowing accounts, like people running for their lives, their mm. shoes melting off their feet, mm. um, people being trapped in their cars or like in their cars, driving through literal flames, you know, to wow. save their lives. And so this is something that if they are responsible for that, they need to be account- held accountable you know, because yeah. they literally have blood on their hands. Yeah. Not literally. I know we overuse that word, but who cares? <laughs> right. They have it's just ash the thing. on their hands. Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. I, I feel like we should move on and let people think about that. Yeah. And PG&E, I mean, <laughs> do better. That's, I actually, no, I'm, I don't I'm basically have... quoting their press release. We're going to do better. Oh we, my we gosh. Care. That's such a weak statement. Yeah. 
All right, so this they need to be paying those families. This that article lost their, that lost up. I'm serious. I'm sorry. They need to take care. They need to rebuild paradise. You said to move on, and then you. Kept I know because it takes me a while. That's true. If you could get fined 1.6 billion, I think that you town. could put some money into rebuilding that. Yeah. Town. All right, so this article is called from BBC News. Brexit latest colon. I'm confused. What just happened? <laughs> this is from Rob Watson. I keep saying that about Brexit. Rob Watson, UK political res- uh, correspondent. Um, so he says it's been an eventful week in UK politics, to put it mildly. Prime Minister Theresa May began the week hoping to push through her vision for Brexit. Days later, she survived a coup from within her own Conservative Party. How'd this happen? What does it mean? What comes next? And then it's <laughs> they have this subheading that says the story in 100 words. That's what we need. Okay. That's what the people want. Give them what they want. (laughs) Here's the hundred words. Politics is all about numbers and dates. I think they could have kept that Yeah, they could have already. They already got too many words in there. This week, 650 members of the UK Parliament were supposed to vote on the deal Theresa May struck with EU members on exactly how the UK should leave the EU. Instead, 317 conservatives had a vote of no confidence in her leadership. Hmm. She won, but only by 200 votes to 117, leaving her weakened and her party divided more than that ever. That seemed like she slayed. I don't get it. Two, she won. She got 200 votes and to yeah. 117? Yeah. That's kind of a big margin to me, but okay. So what's next? The government must hold a vote on Mrs. May's deal by January 21st or come up with another plan. So Look, have they not Brexited yet? <laughs> when is this thing? How long? This is what we need, you know? When yeah. we don't like policies, it's just to like let them linger, just let them go a long time, like have them go through all this. Pro- I mean, you know, I know we have some of some of that, like lame duck stuff or whatever they do. Yeah. But um, yeah. Anyway, keep going. Okay, so there's um, they got a vote on her deal by January twenty first. So I think this slowed things down. Mm-hmm. Um, so this article says it looks like a pl- profound political crisis. However, then there's another subheading. It says, the story in 500 words. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get the 100-word synopsis that clearly. I'm not sure I got all. And then their first three paragraphs summarize what they said before, which is a vote of no confidence yeah. has put off this So she was, uh, she's trying, let me try to paraphrase this. So she was trying to go ahead and push Brexit through, and mm-hmm. then she got a vote of no confidence. Mm-hmm. But then she did win. Correct. And so now what, what's next? It delayed the vote on Brexit till January 21st. Just keep deadline. doing that. Because all of the people I know that are really smart, they think Brexit is a bad idea. And that you shouldn't be a part, of, uh, a, a part separate from the EU. This is, yeah. what, this is what all my friends are saying. So uh, here's, here's something you may not know. Um, so there was um, something with... Um, a symbol in parliament it's called it's the mace the ceremonial mace it's not like mace you spray but it's like a it's like a ceremonial axe or weapon so um this chaotic and revolutionary seeming period in british politics was symbolized best perhaps by an mp from the opposition labor party dramatically grabbing and making off with the (laughs) ceremonial mace in the house of commons (laughs) After Mrs. May called off the much ex- expected vote on They're her Brexit so deal. so funny. I've seen Parliament like videotape footage of them like literally fighting. Right. 
it's the best. It's just like high drama. Right. So here's the key sentence. The mace represents the queen in parliament. <laughs> I love it. Debate cannot continue if it's removed. Oh, what? So he ran She's out. A, a, a symbol. <laughs> he ran out with the mace so they couldn't They couldn't, couldn't keep continue. Debating. Why she's got power as a uh, puppet, <laughs> not just in her palace, but also actually in parliament. She's represented as mace. I wonder how she feels about that. <laughs> her name is May. Maybe it's just plural. Mace. No? No one? <laughs> I don't have any idea. Because why would she be rep... Mace? What, you spray in people's eyes? No, mace. It's like a, mace. It's like a medieval weapon. Ball and chain. Oh, uh, God. Uh, I only know African-American history. <laughs> I let that other British stuff go a long time ago. We'll look up mace <laughs> later. Okay, let's go on to the next one. Okay, this is a big one. Uh, so... This is from Vox. Uh, tenants today are reportedly still paying for a Trump family tax scheme from the 1990s. Mm. Uh, subheading, rents in Brooklyn and Queens were artificially increased mm. by a 1990s scheme to inflate building improvement costs, the New York Times found. Mm. I probably should read the original article. But anyways, this is from Vox. Uh, it goes on to say, a Trump family tax scheme that boosted rents on Trump-owned apartment buildings across New York in the 1990s has left rents artificially inflated to the tune of millions, according to the New York Times. In a follow-up to their major October investigation with David Barstow into the Trump family's suspect tax schemes, Russ Butner and Suzanne Craig reveal that the effects of those schemes are still being felt by tenants today hmm. so we're talking about like th- almost 30 years later yeah. and of course by the trumps who enriched themselves greatly along the way hmm. are you in not 19, done yet okay. in 1992 the trump children created a phony company <laughs> all county building supply and maintenance to pad the cost of their father's bur- building purchases the company did nothing but pay vendors and was reimbursed by fred trump at a higher rate with the extra money split by the kids. Mm-hmm. This allowed the Trumps to dodge both taxes and overinflate the price prices on Fred's rent-regulated apartment through the marked-up, quote, improvement costs. You know what? Trump's such a good president. <laughs> Trump's... <laughs> I'm flabbergasted. What if I... So everything I'm saying right now is like the opposite of what I mean. He's so honest. He does everything with integrity. He comes from a long line of, of honor. And integrity. <laughs> um, mm. Okay, this part is true. Well, you know what? New York didn't know that at the time. They didn't know. I mean, Trump has been a crook since way back when. And it's like, it's some sort of culture, kind of like the Me Too movement. Like, you know, people are sexually harassing people and you people just turn the other way. And maybe Trump should have got busted for all this stuff back when they were doing it. It's mm-hmm. not like they did. You know, people knew. Yeah. Because how did he get a fake company? How he went through the process, whatever that process was, and whoever was involved, they knew exactly what he was doing. Hold on. There's more. But it's it's tough to hear this because he's the president and he's not been arrested. And this is um, a, an American tragedy. Yeah. And so go keep going if you want to. Yeah. So um, this is just one other little detail. Um, so it showed that um, other details revealed in the New York Times October report include the fact that the Trump parents 
avoided paying appropriate taxes on more than $1 billion of gifts to their children and that Fred Trump-owned entities repeatedly bailed Donald out in the 1980s and 90s. So just before Fred's death, Trump and his siblings significantly undervalued the properties they gained control over. Yeah, he's probably doing that in the White House, just doing whatever he can to make it seem like, and barely, because he's getting away with So right before his death, they undervalued the properties they would be gaining control over. And then they sold them off, sold them off over the next ten years for sixteen times the amount they stated on these records. Mm-mm-mm. So they said, "Oh, these properties are worth a million, and then they yeah, inherit them it. and get taxed on them, and then they sell million. it to them for uh, sixteen times more, so sixteen million." In my example, my question is, couldn't just prices have gone up? Maybe it was just an honest mistake. Six, I mean, I think if you look at trends, nothing goes up like that. <laughs> nothing goes up sixteen times. <laughs> yeah i mean even in this economy where things get overblown and bloated so quickly i don't think that that's possible and plus the fact that it started that they undervalued it knowing their dad was gonna die i mean they i mean i'm not saying that you should i think there's like limits to trying to get away with stuff and they just are, are like brutal with it yeah and he's doing and then if he did it then he's not a different man yeah According to his lawyer, Trump had no comment, but according to his lawyer, Charles J. Harder. Oh, he has a lawyer? Uh, Who even would um, be a lawyer? To, oh, gosh. His lawyer said in response How's to the heart? original report, there was, quote, no fraud or tax evasion by anyone. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> come on. I believe you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> said no one. Said no one ever. All right, so we're going to move on to some lighter stories and move a little quicker through this lightning round. Um, You may not know this, but a South African shepherd found a graveyard for dinosaurs. Did he? Yeah. Did they give him any um, money for that? Or is he still a shepherd with his staff and he's herding sheep? He should have a new staff. I don't know if he got a And some better sheep. Like the best sheep. The best sheep. And the best people to shear them. Maybe a machine. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, come on. He found something. So it was significant. I hope he got reimbursed. Yeah. Not reimbursed, but. So this is know, the story of how a shepherd, something a that. geography teacher, and a pensioner helped unearth one of South Africa's biggest discoveries of dinosaur bones. So Dumangwe Theobeka, Theobeka stumbled across a dinosaur graveyard with fossils up to 200 million years old on a, on a routine visit to his family's burial place oh, wow. in Komaga, Komega, Eastern Cape Province. He said, my great-grandparents are buried on this land and one of my responsibilities is to look after the graves and to clean them, 54-year-old uh, Shepherd said. He's got time to use that money for that, co- <laughs> yeah, compensate him. Yeah. So one day while he's cleaning his great great grand great grandparents' graves, he f- he said, "I came across a large bone." <laughs> he's like, "What's that? Is that?" <laughs> I'd never seen anything Grandpa? like that before, and I knew I had to show the bones to someone. So that someone was pensioner James Rawlane, a known dinosaur enthusiast in the village. Uh, and then he just goes on, and uh, the rest of the article is pretty slim. Um, but it says that they, um, he's, he hopes that books will be written about his village. The world will come to know of us through this discovery and that kids in that area will get excited about science. 
Yeah, that's a good noble um, thought. They should get compensated. So. <laughs> yeah, but that's great. All right. Next, huh? Next. BBC News reports a Catholic priest at teenager's funeral condemned suicide. Parents of a teenage boy who took his own life have complained after their Catholic priest criticized him at the funeral for, for killing himself. Yeah, talk about uh, unaware, not being aware, socially aware, emotionally aware. That was so lame. So Father Don LaQuesta in the service questioned whether Mason Hulabarger, 18, would enter heaven. Oh, my gosh. Uh, horrifying his parents and family. They, you know, I wonder, they, apparently, I'm not laughing at the situation, but did they not know this priest and his leanings? <laughs> and, his, and his leanings. Seems like they picked the wrong guy to do that, you know, oh. that eulogy. That's horrible. So this is in uh, Detroit. And people are mourning. You know, I'm always, I'm still um, of the belief that when people die, you don't have to like overdo it, but you don't have to, you, you say good stuff. You know? Yeah, that's the tradition. Yeah, you when you yeah. eulogize has like this positive connotation. You're not chastising people. You're not denigrating them. Yeah. I mean that's that's really t- that's horrible. I know this is going to seem really nerd. That's why some people's funerals are very short because it's you Just don't have all have the good you don't have a lot to say. Yeah. But yeah. you know this and so you know that's how it should go yeah. always. Eulogy actually means, I think, you. It means good. Mm-hmm. Loge or logos means word. word. So good word. Mm-hmm. You're supposed to say a good say word. Say a good word. So instead, uh, so the Archdiocese of Detroit relieved Father LaQuesta from funeral duties. Good. But the, fa- uh, the family wanted him fired. Well. Can you fire a priest? I don't know. But I get their, their um, anger. But, you yeah, know, I think getting suspended is good. Yeah. And tell him to get some counseling or something and, and practice yeah. some classes on how to eulogize. And right. just look up the origins of the word. Okay, right, go ahead. Yeah. So from Catholic priest to women's uh, boxing. Hmm. Katie Taylor beats Eva Wallstrom to defend world titles in New York. So Katie Taylor produced the best def- display of her professional career to inflict a first defeat on Eva Wallstrom to defend her IBF and WBA world lightweight titles. Mm. Ireland's Taylor, 32 years old, won each of the 10 rounds at Madison Square Garden against a Finnish opponent who holds a world title in a lower weight division. Wait, Uh, what? She holds a world title in a lower weight division. So why was she fighting someone in a lower weight? Maybe she gained weight. (laughs) (laughs) So she wasn't in that... Or maybe she, she gained weight to be in the right division, though. Or maybe she, I think you could fight oh, okay. above your weight division. Yeah, she probably just was like, oh, like I'm she's two pounds. 80 pounds. I'm going to fight somebody who's 90. Yeah, they worked out. I'm sure they did the math. <laughs> Wallstrom, bloodied late by, uh, late, laid on by a head clash, Ouch. had no answer to Taylor's speed and ferocity at any time. She won 100 to 90 on all three cards. Well, well. Yeah, that seems really cool. So, news. <laughs> <laughs> so now uh, Taylor's going to return to Ireland for Christmas. That's kind of at the end of the That's article. That's the end of the article because there's no real conclusion. What are you going to say? And yeah, well, she yeah. beat her behind. Now she's going home with her money. Yeah. I mean, you know, the other girl, she gets to go home for Christmas too, but she's just going to, I don't know, have bandages or something. Yeah. 
That's All sad. Right, I let's... don't do boxing. I think it's like so barbaric. But Yeah, you're not a boxing fan, huh? I mean, back in the day, I used to watch Muhammad Ali and stuff. And then now, and then once I saw what happened to him, I was like, oh, this is probably not the best sport. Right. So, no, ixnay. It's terrible. Headlines from the BBC News. A lot from the BBC. Uh, Hopefully, they're uh, a reputable source. They are, honey. (laughs) (laughs) So, here's the headline. U.S. returns looted Balangiga bells, church bells, to the Philippines. Why did they have them, and how long did they have them? Three bells looted by U.S. troops more than a century ago have been returned to their church in the Philippines. So the bronze bells were seized during the Philippine-American War as part of reprisals after decades of... um, Oops, I skipped. uh, As part of reprisals following a massacre. Oh, my goodness. They took their bells. Following a massacre. Yeah, but it's the Philippine-American War. So did the Americans massacre? Somebody did the massacring. It sounds like the Philippines... Filipinos? Yeah, that's what they're Ma- called. But in a war, do you say it's a massacre? A massacre is when nobody's armed. Uh, well, no, I guess it could be just like a... It could be like a whole bunch of people died. Yeah, a whole... Yeah, a whole and then like they were outnumbered and outpowered probably? Yeah. So that... So did we do that? Yeah. So here, here's more on the massacre. <laughs> Following the Balangiga mass... Hopefully I'm saying that right. Massacre of 1901. Was that where, Roosevelt? Uh, sure. It was right around that time. Uh, Filipino militants ambushed and killed 48 U.S. troops. Oh. Uh, U.S. General Jacob H. Smith ordered the area to be turned into a, quote, howling wilderness. So uh, U.S. troops seized three bronze bells as war trophies during the bloody reprisals. Thousands of Filipinos are thought to have been killed. Yeah. So they... The Filipinos killed 48. Right. And then and we then came the back and slaughtered them. Killed thousands. Yeah, that's typical. It says are thought to have been killed like just nobody's keeping score. Right, but they know it was a lot. And so they and then in the, in the process they stole these bells. Yeah. <laughs> and their bells I and mean from they, a church. I wonder what made them want them. Where did they take them? Why did they why did they want the bells and why did, did they this use happen? them? <laughs> One of the bells was with the U.S. 9th Infantry Regiment in Korea, mm-hmm. and the other two were in Wyoming. So those bells got around. So they're, did they get reunited? It almost makes you want them to be reunited. They are. I know. Yeah. It's a happy ending for them. Yep. Yeah. So, happy ending. There you go. All right. Uh, this will be our last, uh, last little headline here, but it's not a little event. It's a huge event. Mm. India's richest man throws the wedding to end all weddings with Beyonce and Hillary in attendance. Uh, so this is by Naya Masi and Shashank Bengali reporting for the New York Times. A private performance by pop superstar Beyonce at a $1,000 a night lakeside res- resort. Oh, that's a, that's a fragment, but I, I'm sure it's intentional. Two former secretaries of state grooving awkwardly on the dance floor. Grooving awkwardly. That's an awkward (laughs) statement, period. (laughs) A guest list that looked like India's version of an Oscars red carpet. No. uh, 
Do Oscars have an apostrophe? I'm a little confused by... This sounds like it's poorly written, and we need to have another conversation about the, oh, <laughs> the editing. I wish I had picked a different article. <laughs> the next paragraph. This isn't just a big, fat Indian wedding. What? It's the biggest, fattest wedding anyone in India can remember. So the marriage of billionaire Mukesh Ambani daughters Isha has had Indians and many Americans awestruck for nearly a week. And spawned estimates of a $100 million price tag. Oh, my God. Isha, a 27-year-old uh, Yale graduate, married her childhood friend, mm. Anand Piramal. Was it arranged or did they like each other? I, I Let's just see what happens here. I don't, uh, I don't know that Yeah, you yet. don't know. I'm looking yeah. at you like you. Um, it was, it was a, at a lavish ceremony on Wednesday at her family's 27-story, 27-story, custom-built residence in mm. the heart of Mumbai, mm. um, where the roads were bedecked with garlands. Her father, Mukesh, is the chairman of Reliance Industries, a sprawling business conglomerate with interests in petrochemicals, energies, textiles, and retail. Jeez, that's and all one, of everything, isn't it? And one of the world's largest internet service providers. Really? Forbes estimates his net worth at more than $40 billion. Oh, my God. He could have helped a pg You know how much now that I care about this fine. guy? Like, zero. <laughs> <laughs> this wedding, not, I don't care. Okay, so let's... They're let's, just so rich. Let's it's listen so about rich, the... Uh, especially how poor India is. I know. So I'm just not on this page. Let's learn but, about the groom. Okay, let's learn about him. The bridegroom, 33-year-old Piramal, comes from a family that made a fortune in pharmaceuticals and real estate, mm. net worth $4 billion. Oh, just so measly. She's, just she's marrying measly. down. She's. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, there's just, uh, I guess. Um, so Beyonce, Beyonce to, they know about Beyonce. That's so funny. Uh, among the guests were Hillary Clinton and John Kerry. What? A viral video captured two former secretaries of state dancing to a popular Hindi film song mm. along with Mukesh Ambani. That had to be his fun. Wife. Yeah. <laughs> Ariana Huffington was there, an ad tycoon I've never heard of, and Bollywood stars. And um, yeah, so lots of celebrities there. And then Beyonce gave a uh, private concert there. Well, aren't they lucky? Yeah. What do you think about that? I, I mean, I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, there's so much more uh, beneficial things you could do with money. Right. But and your you daughter know, gets married once, hopefully. Right. And I just uh, wonder, maybe he's, um, you know, giving a lot of money to the poor. <laughs> yeah. And helping people. But, you know, I don't know that part of the story. It could be true. But it's just like super extravagant. Yeah. And you wonder, you know. Oh, I don't know. That's, I don't even know what it'd be like. Like if I walked into a situation like that or a room that be decked with you know, riches and brilliance and, you know, I wonder if I would get sick. <laughs> <laughs> you know who didn't get sick? Who? Beyonce. The star, <laughs> the star of the uh, event, it says, uh, was Beyonce dressed in an Indian-inspired outfit. Uh, she dra- traveled to Udaipur, hopefully I'm saying that right, with her mother and performed a 45-minute set, including mega-hit numbers like Crazy in Love. I'm sure that was good. Probably was. Yeah. Probably delivered. She probably did what she needed to do. Yeah. She's probably getting, she was like, uh-oh, I'm getting paid a lot, uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, that's yeah. all the news we have uh, for this episode. So, 
Thanks for joining us, people. Thank you for joining us. Leave a comment on the uh, iTunes review, something nice. Give us a five-star rating and uh, give us some feedback. And uh, hit us up on the socials, at Darling Creasel or at Wes Creasel on Twitter. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you. See you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes because that really helps us out. You can also listen to us on Anchor, Google Play, and Stitcher. And follow us on social media, BWT, but we're together on Instagram. And Wes Creasel and Darlene Creasel on Twitter. 